the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, today we're going to follow the uh, headline news in the first couple of segments, the lighter side of the news in the second two segments of this first hour, and we'll share the Christian outlook in our second hour. We'll hear from Bruce House House Connect. He's with Focus on the Family. He'll talk about the Washington University that's facing um, employment discrimination charges because of their commitment to biblical sexuality. John Bauer will uh, talk about debt forgiveness and Dr. Albert Moeller about debt as seen throughout the scriptures. And uh, we'll share my conversation with Andrew Farley. The grace message, is the gospel really this good? That's all coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, the saga with the FBI, the former president, and the Department of Justice continues. The Justice Department today filed a more detailed list of documents taken in its raid of former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort, including dozens of classified documents and folders with classified markings. Also included was a wide assortment of other items, including about a thousand documents that did not have classified markings, several articles of clothing, gift items, entries, and hundreds of printed news articles. Well, the list was released per an order from the Florida uh, federal judge, uh, Aileen Cannon, as she weighs whether to appoint a special master to check the documents for potential executive privilege. Well, the documents include, um, include Includes little that was unexpected. A different federal judge unsealed a less detailed property receipt last month, which showed that the FBI took several boxes of documents from the the president's uh, property, which included various classified TSSCI documents. Uh, Trump, meanwhile, has complained publicly that the FBI took documents and items allegedly unrelated to its investigation. However, the Friday filing does underscore the massive amount of material the government took from Mar-a-Lago, including many government documents. It's also not clear why investigators seized items labeled article of clothing, gift item. In all, the Department of Justice said it took 18 such Items. Well, the president's legal team argues that Cannon should appoint a special master for an independent review of the materials the Department of Justice took from his property. They say the Justice Department should not be trusted to be the final word on whether its uh, conduct is proper. Meanwhile, um, one uh, analyst suggests that the legal fight between the former president and the Department of Justice escalating this morning when the department released those detailed lists of inventory um, that it comes following an order from the federal judge uh, who's deciding whether to appoint the special prosecutor. Well, former Attorney General Bill Barr criticized the former president uh, and his push for a special master as a distraction from the details of the case and argued that it's not likely to be granted. I think the whole idea of a special master is a bit of a red herring, he went on to say. Um, I think it's a waste of time. So there's a different opinion from a former uh, cabinet member in the uh, Trump administration. In any event, it will continue into the next weeks, days, who knows how much longer, but we'll continue to follow the story as it develops. 
Well, about seven Portland churches have been the target of vandalism this summer. The latest is St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Portland's Hillsdale neighborhood, which was broken into and vandalized. According to KGWTV, Sanderson Doherty said it appears vandals broke into the church. It's located on Southwest Sunset Boulevard through two different windows the night of the 27th of August. They used black spray paint to tag dozens of walls inside and outside the building, from Sunday school rooms to the elevator. Vandals also broke several mugs that church members had made, scattered broken pottery among smashed apples taken from the preschooler's refrigerator. Sanderson Doherty said that the church's child care wing reeked of marijuana. We found an apple that had been used as a smoking device sitting in the middle of one of the tables of the children's classroom, she said. She's hoping for help cleaning up the the, uh, graffiti and um, is uh, grateful for donations that community members have already shared. She also wonders if those responsible for the mess are hurting in some way. We forgive you. We don't wish you any harm. Sanderson Doherty said, we want you to know that we are a community and though we've been hurt, will respond in love. This is the latest in a string of churches, this being the seventh in Portland, vandalized uh, in the, uh, the summer months. Well, dozens of federal officials across uh, multiple agencies within the Biden administration communicated extensively with social media companies to coordinate censorship of information, according to internal documents released by Republican Attorney General Eric Schmidt of Missouri and Jeff Landry of Louisiana. Officials within the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Health and Human Services sent emails to employees at Facebook and Twitter to flag instances of alleged misinformation and provide talking points to counter alleged false narratives spreading on the platform. Government officials would occasionally initiate this activity with one message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention official uh, requesting monthly meetings with Facebook to plan debunking strategies and a White House official requesting the removal of a parody Anthony Fauci account. One collection of emails shows Facebook staff collaborating closely with the staff at the Department of Health and Human Services to remove Facebook groups with one message describing the collaboration as critical. Staff from the CDC discussed setting up regular chats with Twitter, and Twitter invited White House staff to be briefed on their efforts relating to vaccine misinformation. I know our teams met today to better understand the scope of what the White House expects from us on misinformation going forward. One email from a Facebook staff to HHS staff states. In our previous conversation, I have appreciated the way you and your team have approached our engagement, and we have worked hard to meet the moment. We've dedicated enormous time and resources to fight this pandemic and consider ourselves partners in fighting the same battle, end quote. Well, documents produced by the Department of Justice allegedly reveal a connection between 45 federal officials at the DHS and HHS and social media giants, with the social media companies disclosing connections to officials at the White House and the U.S. Election Assistance Commission, among others, according to the release. The administration has allegedly refused to disclose the connections of the highest ranking members, citing executive privilege, according to the press release. Well, declaring democracy is under assault, President Biden unsurprisingly attacked so-called MAGA Republicans and cranks uh, cranks up anti-Trump rhetoric despite promising unity. It was over the top and dehumanizing to nearly 75 million Americans who are now referred to by the president as fascist. Employment Outlook, the Labor Department on Friday morning is releasing its closely watched August jobs report. 
projected to show that payrolls increased 300,000 last month and the unemployment rate held steady at 3.5 percent, according to a medium estimate. Well, that would mark a significant drop from the surprising gain of 528,000 recorded in July and would be the weakest monthly job growth since April of 21. Meanwhile, average hourly wages are expected to rise 0.4 percent or 5.3 percent annually. While monthly job data is always important, the Federal Reserve is closely watching this particular report for signs the labor market is starting to slow down from its torrid pace as policymakers try to wrestle inflation, which is still running nearly a 40-year high, back to 2%. Shady spending, emergency COVID money is going to many non-virus-related issues, but of course we've known that for some time now. Calling it a witch hunt, former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort says, Soros paid DNC uh, people to get dirt on me. You can only get it if it's there, just a thought. Crazy, convoluted, confusing, former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin knocked ranked uh, choice uh, voting after losing to Democrat Mary Peltola of um, Alaska's special election to serve the remainder of former Representative Don Young's term in Congress. Ranked choice voting was adopted in Alaska in 2020, has been hailed by proponents as a novel system to reduce partisanship and ensure that winning candidates have a majority of support. Voters rank candidates in order of preference. If a candidate receives more than 50 percent of the first place vote after the first tabulation, then they win. But if there is no majority winner, then the candidate with the fewest votes is eliminated. Palin called the system a new, crazy, convoluted, confusing way to elect lawmakers that has disinformation franchised 60% of Alaska voters. CNN blasted the president's Marine backdrop. A CNN anchor hit the the president for having Marines behind him at his anti-MAGA speech, saying the military is supposed to be apolitical. Apparently, his political rant was okay, but just having military personnel there was not. Citing white authoritarianism, populism, it's hard to keep up with these phrases. A Washington Post columnist condemns white conservative Christians for allying with Trump Am I wrong or is Trump out of office? Well, Biden's primetime unity speech alienated half the country. Democrat president demonized millions of Americans, about 75 million to be precise, during the primetime speech Thursday evening, where he claimed that he wanted the country to unite. He repeatedly had to clear his throat and cough throughout the speech as he claimed that people who challenged the results of the 2020 presidential election were extremists. But apparently those who challenged previous elections were not, one of whom was in his cabinet. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal, the president said. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Town Hall points out President Biden, MAGA Republicans embrace anger. They thrive on chaos. They live not in the light of truth, but in the shadow of lies. Some suggested that's precisely what the speech reflected. And then Spencer Brown weighed in, despite insistence from the White House, including Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre and Chief of Staff Ron Klain earlier on Thursday, that Biden's address would not be political and not about one political party or one political person. The president directly named Donald Trump and repeatedly invoked so-called MAGA Republicans in his remarks. David Harsini also weighs in, saying basically a smear of 74 million people in front of the flag in military primetime TV. Well, coming clear on the true price of the pandemic on our children, the Wall Street Journal reports that the Education Department's first look at test scores uh, trends since the pandemic began reveals the worst drop in math and reading scores in decades for students in fourth grade, a crucial indicator for educational and economic trajectory.
Well, the Bank of America has launched a program exclusive to minority communities. The bank is under fire for a new mortgage lending program geared specifically for black and Hispanic homebuyers. The loans to be made in select minority communities throughout the country require no down payments and no closing cost. Although white homebuyers in those neighborhoods would meet certain criterion for eligibility for the program, the North Carolina-based lender says it was designed explicitly for blacks and Hispanics. Well, the Taliban celebrated the U.S. withdrawal with a parade and a display of American arms that had been left behind. Well, it's now been one year since President Biden pulled up stakes from Afghanistan and a sudden withdrawal from that angered America's longest allies saw 13 U.S. service members killed in the chaos. Um, Biden's lack of planned uh, uh, planning created and left an unknown number of Americans behind in a Taliban country. As a result, countless terrorist prisoners held across Afghanistan were set free to return to their violent brethren and some seven billion dollars worth of military equipment fell into the Taliban's hands. On a one-year anniversary marking the end of Biden's withdrawal, the Taliban did what they any terrorist trying to show strength and legitimacy would do with billions dollars billions of dollars rather worthy uh, worth of fancy American war machines. They threw a despotic parade and party to show off their in-kind donations from the White House. The Taliban held the parade at a former main Afghan U.S. airbase, Bagram, in honor of the anniversary of the American departure. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Need to take a quick break. Also coming up later this hour, a look at the lighter side of the news. I've asked James Glenn to join me for that, so you can look forward to that. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Poland is seeking reparations from Germany for the Nazi invasion that started the war. Well, Poland's top politician said on Thursday that the government will seek equivalent of some $1.3 trillion in reparations from Germany for the Nazis' World War II invasion and occupation of his country. The leader of the Law and Justice Party announced the huge claim at a release of a long-awaited report on the cost to the country of years of Nazi German occupation as it marks the 83rd year, um, 83rd year since the start of World War II. We will turn to Germany to open negotiations on the reparations. He said, adding it will uh, be a long and not an easy path, but one day reconciliation. That would be the base uh, would be based on truth. Colorado residents steamed when the utility company prevented thermostat adjustment during a heat wave. Well, during the dog days of summer, it's important to keep your home cool. But when thousands of Excel customers in Colorado tried adjusting their thermostats on Tuesday, they learned that they had no control over the temperatures in their own homes. Well, utility customers tried adjusting their thermostats, learned that they uh, could not. 22,000 customers who had signed up for the Colorado AC Rewards Program were locked out of their smart thermostats. New Mexico Governor Grisham signed an executive order to build a new abortion facility near the Texas border. Uh, the New Mexico Governor Michelle Grisham signed an executive order Wednesday, setting aside $10 million to develop a new reproductive health care clinic near the state's Texas border. Of course, it's not for reproducing. It's for ending reproduction. The new clinic will expand access in the state to the full spectrum of reproductive health care, namely abortion, and help it prepare for a potential increase in people seeking abortions from other states that have restricted or banned access to the procedure in the wake of the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe versus Wade. The White House claims Democrats wanted to reopen schools while Republicans wanted to keep them closed. Huh? 
White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre said uh, Thursday, former President Trump shoulders the blame for uh, learning uh, loss during the COVID-19 closures for mismanaging the pandemic. In less than six months, our schools went from 46 percent being open to almost all of them, she continued. That was the work of Democrats in spite of Republicans, she said, blaming the GOP for voting against the American Rescue Plan, which offered one hundred and thirty billion dollars for school. The RNC research responded saying that the uh, White House press secretary unbelievably claims it was the work of Democrats that reopened schools. That is absurd. Democrats did everything they possibly could to keep the schools shut down. Of course, both sides generalizing. House Republicans require Meta or Facebook and the FBI disclose all their communications. House Republican investigators are demanding access to all communications between Facebook and the FBI following comments by Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg on the social media giant's controversial decision to throttle the Hunter Biden laptop stories in 2020. And Russian luck oil chairman has fallen through a hospital window and died. Well, this is the latest in a series of high level Russian oil executives to die unexpectedly. The Wall Street Journal says the chairman of Russia's second largest oil and gas giant died Thursday after falling from a hospital window in Moscow, according to Russian state media. TASS. The uh, individual fell from a sixth floor window at the Central Clinical Hospital where he was being treated, TASS reported. He was hospitalized for a heart attack and was also taking antidepressants, the news agency said. Um, He is the uh, second senior executive who worked for Luck Oil to die in recent months. Alexander Subotin, a former senior manager, was found dead in a house in a city on the outskirts of Moscow in May. Shortly after um, the BBC reports, shortly after Russia invaded Ukraine, the Luck Oil Board called for the conflict to end as soon as possible, expressing its sympathy to victims of this tragedy. But the two certainly could not be related. A judge has ordered a more detailed list of documents taken by the FBI in Mar-a-Lago raid unsealed. And August jobs numbers are moderate while unemployment ticks up. Michigan's monstrous abortion proposal, Democrats in the state are seeking to use abortion as the issue that will keep Governor Gretchen Whitmer in office, as well as possibly flip some U.S. House and state legislative seats. In that vein, a constitutional amendment has been created to both eliminate Michigan's 1931 law that banned abortions with the exception of preserving the life of the mother and to codify abortion as a state constitutional right under the euphemism of reproductive freedom. While polls indicate that a majority of Americans support limited abortion access generally within the first 12 months of pregnancy, the majority oppose abortion after the first trimester. The trouble is that the proposed constitutional right to abortion effectively sets no limits on abortion. Abortion, adopting the old Roe v. Wade standard of an unrestricted right to abortion through the first 24 weeks. Michigan Republicans need to hit hard and expose this amendment's proposal for what it is, a monstrous effort by the abortion lobby to cement the unfettered right to sacrifice the lives of preborn babies, all for the sake of personal convenience. A former New York police officer is given a 10-year sentence in the Capitol riot. A Kansas teacher has won $95,000 after a school pushed her to deceive parents about students' gender identity. And Lori Lightfoot calls Greg Abbott a racist for sending illegal immigrants to the sanctuary city of Chicago. A judge upholds New York's new carry laws. And California rejected a gun tax for the second year in a row. In the nanny state test, a Colorado company locked thermostats of 22,000 customers citing an emergency an energy emergency, and China is likely guilty of crimes against humanity, according to the U.N. 
Well, silent prayer has been deemed okay outside of an abortion counseling office. A German court has ruled. Well, on this day in history, 1864, during the Civil War, Union General William Sherman's forces occupy Atlanta. 1945, Japan formally surrenders in ceremonies aboard the USS Missouri in Tokyo Bay, ending World War II. 1958, President Dwight Eisenhower, he signs the National Defense Education Act, which provides aid to public and private education to promote learning in such fields as math and science. 1960, Wilma Rudolph of the United States wins the first of her three gold medals at the Roman Summer Olympics as she finishes the 100-meter dash in 11 seconds. 1963, Alabama Governor George C. Wallace prevents integration at Tuskegee High School by encircling the building with state troopers. He might be welcome to do the same today as the notion of resegregation is uh, has returned. 1963, the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite is lengthened from 15 to 30 minutes, becoming network television's first half-hour nightly newscast. 1969, the first uh, automatic teller machine, or the ATM, to utilize magnetic strip cards is opened to the public at Chemical Bank in New York. It's called the DocuTeller. It was developed by Donald Wetzel. 2003, a federal appeals court in San Francisco threw out more than 100 death sentences in Arizona, Montana, and Idaho because the inmates had been sent to death row by judges instead of juries. 2005, President George W. Bush tours the Gulf Coast and meets with state and local officials, including New Orleans Mayor Ray Nagin. At one point, Bush praises FEMA Director Michael Brown, telling him, Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. He was later excoriated for having made that statement. And finally, on this day in history, 2009, Pfizer agrees to pay a record $2.3 billion settlement for illegal drug promotion. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've just uh, gone through some of the day's headlines. When we come back, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. And when I say we, I mean, well, James and me. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Joining me now is James Blend, who happens to be the producer of the Georgine Rice Show. When were you going to tell me that? <laughs> uh, James, I want to let you know. I know you were on vacation um, last week. Yes, I was. I want you to know I have a new best friend. I've heard. Yeah. A box arrived at my desk on Monday. I carefully opened the box to find circus peanuts and candy corns. Two bags of candy corn and a bag of circus peanuts. I hold them in my hand. You realize that they're empty. Yes, I'm, I'm aware that they're empty. I did see you doing a little <laughs> snacking during the week. My new best friend, Lisa, from Vancouver, sent them to me with a little, the sweetest little note, um, knowing that I love these candies. But I have to admit, when I'm in their presence, I have no self-control. I ate that. Well, I might have straddled two days. The circus peanuts, I may have taken two days to eat them all. But I think you did. I, I remember seeing you eat some still on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, the candy corns, I still have a few left, but very few. And I just wanted to thank Lisa from Vancouver for your <laughs> your sweet gift. I had to chuckle when I read your note because someone had done something similar for her, even though these are not her favorites. Uh, someone had done the same for her, and she's never forgotten it. And Lisa, I will not forget you for having done that for me because these are, of course, my favorites. The other thing I really like... Uh, I'm discovering there's kind of a pattern. I think circus peanuts are kind of like dried out marshmallows. I really love peeps, 
but I like them best when they're a bit dried out. I think that's because they're more like a circus peanut. And the flavor of the uh, candy corn is very similar. So I think there's a pattern developing If I remember here. right, didn't we do a video a few years ago of your peep preparation that we put on our Facebook? Yes. We'll have to see if we can dig that back up again. Yeah, you have to very carefully uh, uh, care for them in order for them to be vintage peeps by the time you're ready to consume. Anyway, thank you, Lisa. That was. So I, I feel cute. like I need to talk about something I like in hopes that someone will send it, but that's okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll pass. Yeah, your new car is not going to arrive here. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Might have been worth a try, though. Well, this story sort of intrigued me, James. A Pennsylvania emotional support alligator is up for America's favorite pet. His name is Wally Gator. He's an emotional support alligator from New York, Pennsylvania, or excuse me, York, Pennsylvania. Uh, He's in the lead for America's favorite pet uh, animal kingdom, a new pet popularity contest. Well, the U.S. Department of Transportation will define a service animal as a dog that is individually trained to do work for the benefit of a person with a disability. An alligator from Pennsylvania is in the running for the uh, favorite pet, however. Wally Gator, a seven-year-old reptile, uh, he hails from the city of York and reportedly loves to give hugs. I'm not sure I'd want a hug from an alligator. Uh, He's currently in the lead of this new uh, popularity contest, uh, which includes animals of all shapes, sizes, and species. It's currently unknown how many votes Wally Gator has, but the animal has a dedicated TikTok following of more than 68,100 people. Wally Gator's uh, TikTok bio says that he's uh, a licensed emotional support animal and his owners uh, reportedly operate a reptile rescue. Now, I don't know how you can call an alligator a support animal. I have no doubt that it makes the person who owns and, you know, stays cozy with it supported. But for anyone else who comes in their orbit, it has to be off-putting and terrifying. So I'm not sure how you reconcile the two things. Sure, you feel great, but everyone else is a little um, a little nervous because you're you're cozying up to an alligator. Your thoughts? I, well, first of all, I, I I have to question you. Of course, technically, if you're an emotional support animal or a service animal, you're technically not a pet, are you? Well, I don't know what you call it. All I can say is, you come strolling in with an alligator, and you're going to unnerve a lot of people around you. Yeah, if that alligator is not plush. Um, and, and, you know, fluffy and that kind of thing. I agree with you completely. Yeah, but you're right. It's the America's favorite pet contest, not America's favorite emotional support animal. Yeah. Maybe they think it's both things. I I don't know. And they, they, uh, I actually don't see how it could be either personally, but (laughs) I don't either, but they apparently have a reptile business. So they have them all around and maybe he's a little bit of both. Anyway, if you're interested, America's FAV fave pet.com. Um, and you can vote for whatever animal you uh, you like. Dozens of other animals are also in the running, but the first voting round will narrow to the top 20. Um, and that actually was done. That was done on the first, according to the contest website. Uh, and Wally Gator is certainly among the top 20, but there will be 19 others who are not. Wally Gator, did you have pets growing up? Yeah, I had some fish and birds and eventually a dog. Yeah, I had guinea pigs. We had lots of uh, guinea pigs. And um, I don't think we ever had a bird. We might have had fish. And then we had the, the one dog that right. terrified me for the entire length of his stay with us. <laughs> but other than that, 
Yeah. Here's uh, something. A, a tomato spill makes a major California highway a marinara mess. Some California drivers got a saucy surprise in their Monday morning commute after a truck hit the center divider on Highway 80 between San Francisco and Sacramento, California, slathering several lanes and quickly crushed tomatoes. Uh, the Sacramento television station reported that the accident that happened around 5 a.m. local time, so a lot of people had to go through that, um, uh, caused heavy traffic but no injuries. It took several hours for State Department transportation workers to clear and reopen all lanes of the highway. Um, the mess teed up some food humor, at least for those not caught in the tomato traffic jam. Uh, get the chips. Oh, wait, you're already there. Police officers, chips, tomatoes. Uh, one internet commuter um, wrote, uh, referencing the nickname of uh, chips for the officers. Chips and tomatoes. I believe uh, it was also shared that a memorial service will be held for them at uh, the offices of Veggie Tales. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a good idea. Well, an 18-wheeler loaded with Alfredo sauce crashed on a Tennessee highway on Tuesday, blanketing the roadway with a creamy concoction. It is pasta covering week, isn't it? Well, yeah. This is in Tennessee. Now, if you could get Tennessee and California together, you might actually have something. Well, the Olive eight, Garden, it's called. The, <laughs> the 18-wheeler loaded with Alfredo sauce crashed on a Tennessee highway, blanketing uh, the whole road. The truck slammed into a retention wall on I-55, and the resulting saucy mess shut down parts of the highway for hours, according to the Memphis police and the Tennessee Department of Transportation. Videos from the scene show the white sauce covering a massive swath of northbound traffic. The crash narrowed traffic to just one lane on the southbound side as well. One woman was taken to a local hospital in non-critical condition. A cleanup crews worked into the evening to get rid of the road sauce before traffic eventually resumed. Early Tuesday morning, a big rig spilled over 300,000 tomatoes uh, in California. Uh, and uh, in fact, there were three injured, but um, no no one seriously. That caused a traffic jam, but uh, wasn't... Uh, with the Alfredo sauce, so it couldn't really be used to concoct some kind of a meal. Kind of so sad. So, do we have any pasta trucks crashing? That, that our next story? It's got to be somewhere in the middle, in flyover country. Yeah, yeah. A box of reptiles was mailed to the wrong address in New York. A box of reptiles. Were they this, emotional support reptiles? <laughs> it don't. This is in Port Chester, New York. Several live lizards were wrongly delivered to a residence in a village north of New York City. Needless to say, the addressee was quite startled when they opened the box. Startled is one way of putting it. Uh, Police received the call about the reptiles just about noon on Saturday. They posted a picture on Sunday of three dark-colored lizards held in a large white container. It wasn't immediately clear whether there were more reptiles that were not pictured, but, you know, three's enough. Uh, If you lost your lizards and iguanas, we have them at the police department, the uh, site said. They said that they held the animals until a local animal sanctuary could pick them up for safekeeping. We don't know if they were claimed by the original owner or the sender. I I believe it was a little orphan Annie who said leaping lizards. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure they were leaping. I can't say. The the question I have is, of course, you get a package that you're not expecting at your house. Yeah. Now... That can happen. We all have had that happen. We've had misdirected packages. But when living things are transported, there's usually stickers identifying them as such. 
just seems to be if I got a package that said live amphibians or live reptiles or something, and I was not expecting anything of the sort, I'm not sure I would have opened it to any surprise. I would have just left it closed. Well, my guess is it wasn't labeled because they did open it. You'd think there would have to be like air designated holes air holes. Yeah. yeah, you'd think there'd have to be a number of things in order for them to be safely transported. The other thing is we don't know where it came from. If it was just across town and it wasn't expected to be more than a day or so or cross country or... I mean, I don't think Prime delivers that. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be at all surprised. All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back with a little more of the lighter side of the news. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. James Blend has joined me to take a look at the lighter side of the news. Um, James, you went on vacation last week yes, and I did. had a great time. Indeed. I'm here to tell you that I'm planning on going on vacation next week. In fact, the next two weeks. Yeah, there's a bit of a story behind that. When I was very sick and it wasn't certain that I was going to survive uh, what I was uh, going through. I remember sitting on my couch in the, the living room. I was all by myself. Dan Rice was somewhere else. My mother was not in my hearing. And I just said out loud, it wasn't even technically a prayer. I just said, I would like to go to Fiji. I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it to the kitchen, but I just I had difficulty getting up and down on the couch. But I just uttered the words, I'd like to go to Fiji. Well, I didn't really give it much thought. And, you know, it's not something I had talked about before that I'd shared with anyone. I'm I'm not even sure I'd ever said that to Dan Rice. And he knows most of my thoughts and aspirations. Anyway, when I felt a little bit better, it was some weeks later, I accompanied Dan to a church that we often frequent where he plays drums on Sunday mornings. And I was sitting in the uh, in the congregation and the worship leader, who happened to be a very close friend, Deborah Greenwich, approached me and asked how I was doing. And we had a conversation and she said out of the clear blue, would you like to go to Fiji? <laughs> I, I just started laughing because I thought that is so hilarious. I had just, you know, weeks before made that utterance. And she said, you know, we've got a timeshare there and uh, we need a fourth do you want to come? And after conversations with Dan Rice and looking at the finances and all of that, the answer was yes. And so on uh, Monday evening, I'm going to fly out with uh, three very dear friends to Fiji, where we're going to be vacationing for two full weeks. I can hardly be- believe it's it's uh, coming. When I first purchased the tickets, it said at the top of the ticket, um, your travel to Fiji is in 200 something days. And I kind of chuckled. It seemed like it was never going to come. You sort of anticipate it. Uh, you didn't plan on it because it was so far out and you didn't know what was going to happen in the world between then and now. But it's upon us and I'm going to be traveling for two weeks to Fiji with a group of friends. In my absence, we have a lineup of uh, great guest hosts. Some you'll be familiar with, others maybe hearing for the first time, but I'm looking forward to giving them an opportunity uh, to share the mic and give you an opportunity to hear their insights on what's going on in the world, what's going on in scripture and so on. They have carte blanche to select their uh, content. And so looking forward to giving you that opportunity to enjoy them as well. So that's coming up. That's uh, that's coming up. But I do plan on being back. I think I'll be back in the uh, office on the 22nd. And depending on how jet lagged I am, <laughs> Uh, we'll probably be back on the air on the 23rd. Is that about right, James? Yeah, the plan is for you to be back on the air the 23rd. All right, then. That will be the plan. 
Well, there you have it. I'm going on vacation. I still am kind of. I'm amazed. Yeah, I've never I mean, taken a vacation that long. No, I, I've told a few people. It's like I, you know, it's not like you and I started working together last week. I mean, we're you know, I think uh, January is my 20th anniversary coming up here on, on producing this show, and uh, I when you told me about your plans, I was like, whoa. I yeah. just it was it was kind of you know, don't get me wrong I'm really happy for you I'm glad you know this is probably about 15 years overdue but hey you know <laughs> I'm glad you're going I hope you have an amazing time and uh, you know the on, the only thing I hope more than that is that you actually come back at the end of it well I'm planning you might on have it. too much fun but as I say if the Lord wills and I live I'll be back in the studio on the 23rd I'm just saying you may not want to be. Well, you know, that's a, that's a possibility. I don't really know much about Fiji. I know enough to really want to go, but I'm looking forward to discovering a whole new uh, culture that I've never I've never been on an island in the South Pacific. I've been, well, kind of not like this one, I'll say. And I think we're going to do a um, an island hop to Vanuatu, which is also very popular and famous and so I'll, I'll try to give a report when I come back on a little bit of the adventure. And I'm going to be traveling without Dan Rice. So this is a bit unusual. Uh, I'm going with three Is he, uh, he going to be okay? Do we need to check in on him? Well, I tell you what I'm going to be doing for the next few days. I'm going to be cooking, <laughs> baking, freezing, uh, writing out instructions so that he's well taken care of. I did that once when I traveled with the station to go to China. I mean, I had every every meal, every snack, everything labeled in the freezer or the refrigerator, all the instructions on how much time to put it in the oven, how much, you know, all the details. And I came, I was just worried about him. And I came home from uh, China, opened the freezer, and there were every one of my packages, every meal, every snack. He ate out every night, didn't he? Well, sometimes he just forgets to eat. Now, oh, this is well, a phenomenon I'm not familiar with, but he just... No, I'm not either. Yeah, he'll just, oh, yeah, I forgot to eat. Sometimes now I have to ask him, did you eat? Because I make him lunch because I want him to eat. He just would go without eating. Did you eat your lunch? And sometimes it's late in the day. I'll get home and he said, yeah, I ate it about four. And he hasn't eaten anything before then. So that's what I'll be doing these next few days is getting Dan Rice ready to be a bachelor for two weeks. You know, it, it, one of the things that, you know, a lot of people do when, you know, like they have a baby or an event in the family that prevents them from cooking. You have those, uh, you know, the food chains where different people will take a different day. Mm-hmm. Sh- should we start a chain for Dan <laughs> and every night at six o'clock, one of us calls him to make sure he's eating his dinner? Well, that might be a good idea or, or just, um, yeah, you might actually have to show up and put it in the oven and, <laughs> and feed him. Because he's just as content if he's not eating anything. But, I, you know, I'll try to connect with him every day and, you know, encourage him, him to eat a little bit. That'd yeah. be good. All right. So vacation is coming. Woohoo! Well, a small northwest Iowa city of Sheldon planned to make the, uh, the opening of a time capsule one of the centerpiece events of their 150th anniversary this weekend. But it ran into a slight problem. Now, you think about a time capsule. You carefully curate the items that go into the capsule so that at some future generation would have the opportunity to see what life for you was like. Well, they had one slight problem. No one is sure where the time capsule is actually buried. Whoops. Just a slight oversight. We're trying to find instructions on exactly where it is before we just start digging, said the Chamber of Commerce director. We think we know where it is, but to dig up concrete in the park when we have... uh, 
such a big event going on, we're just postponing that to a little bit later in the year. Well, the time capsule was buried 50 years ago during the Sheldon Centennial celebration, and over time, its specific location became uh, just a little fuzzy. Event organizers had planned to open the time capsule during a town birthday celebration Friday morning featuring birthday cake and coffee, but then planned to place new items inside the capsule and rebury it. Well, the other event will go on as planned with the time capsule unveiling delayed until workers can actually find it. To do that, the city will hire a company with an underground radar system that helped the nearby city of Silby find their time capsule earlier this year. There's a pattern developing. We still have every intention of finding it and digging it up, said the uh, uh, commissioner. It's just a little more involved than we had originally planned. The city of 5,178 Sheldon about 160 miles northwest of Des Moines, was founded in 1872. And there's a time capsule, if you can find it. That's that's just, yeah. That's sad. A little bit. Yeah. When camp counselor Ali Tarantino was um, flipping through a magazine years ago, he came upon a familiar name, Mark Zuckerberg. He rifled through boxes of memorabilia in his basement, running his finger over old photos, newspapers, bus maps before finding a baseball card featuring a very young Zuckerberg grinning in a red jersey and gripping a bat. Three decades later, Tarantino is hoping that the signed baseball card featuring one of the richest men in the world will bring a fortune when it's put up for auction this month. So how much would you pay for a Mark Zuckerberg baseball card? Same price I pay for my Facebook subscription. (laughs) Well, it's like my version of a midlife crisis. I'm 50 years old, he says. Uh, What am I going to do with this? He joked. Well, uh, as told by Tarantino, who still works summers at Elmwood Day Camp in Westchester, New York, Zuckerberg, then eight or nine, offered the card he'd um, had printed at a um, as a parting gift at the end of camp some 30 years ago. As somebody who collects things, it's always really difficult to part with whatever you have in your collection. But I've always been very weirdly curious about how the public would react to something that's like this um, weird combination of pop culture and memorabilia. So this month he plans on putting it up for auction. The card will also be auctioned off as a digital collector's item, item rather, so a so-called NFT or a non-fungible token that has become a popular way to own memorabilia. So there you have it. If you're interested in Mark Zuckerberg, eight or nine years old, his baseball card, it's up for grabs. And did you hear that there's uh, quite possibly going to be a wedding at the White House? Now, there hasn't been a wedding at the White House in decades that I can recall. Well, President Joe Biden's granddaughter, Naomi Biden, will hold her wedding ceremony on the South Lawn at the White House, the bride to be announced. Uh, First Lady Jill Biden hinted that Naomi's engagement last year, that the wedding may take place at the White House. Naomi will marry her fiancé, Peter Neal, on the 19th of November. So not sure how best to update, but was supposed to do so weeks ago. But we finally figured out where the ceremony will be. And much to the relief of Secret Service and the dog's endorsement, we'll be getting married on the South Lawn. Couldn't be more excited, Naomi announced on Twitter. She's the eldest daughter of the president's son, Hunter Biden. The wedding will be the first time a member of the first family has been married at the White House since Tricia Nixon. That was a minute or two ago. The daughter of President Richard Nixon in 1971. While pretty uncommon, wedding ceremonies at the White House are not unheard of. 
There have been a total of 18 such weddings in U.S. history, with the first taking place in 1812. The most recent in 2013 between official White House photographer Pete Souza and his wife, Patty Lease, according to the White House Historical Association. Naomi had previously announced the wedding would take place at the White House earlier this year, but it was not clear where in the complex it would take place. Now we know it will be on the South Lawn. Congratulations to Naomi and her fiancé, who will be marrying at the White House. Guessing they're not registered for a laptop. <laughs> you just had to bring that up. Just saying. Well, I just, you think you know. about, uh, I, I have some sympathy for the president. We're talking about his son and, you know, and then this woman whose father, that's got to be tough. Yeah. Everything is appropriate to investigate and all of that. But a family member... That's got to be tough. All right. Coming up, we are going to uh, have news and traffic at the top of the hour and the Christian outlook in the second hour. We'll hear from uh, Focus on the Family Rep on Washington University and the challenge they face for holding a biblical view of sexuality. We'll hear about um, debt forgiveness and what the scriptures have to say and the grace message. The gospel really is that good. And we'll hear more about it. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'll be back on the 23rd. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 